So the last day of 2017. Some people are, Sophie's really excited that 2017's nearly over. As I've got older and my hair has slowly thinned, I've begun to think in terms of years because they seem to slide by so quickly. Where did 2017 go? And I remember when a year seemed a huge expanse of time. Like, wow, a whole year. Nowadays, I tend to think in three-year periods. That tells you something, doesn't it? You know, you're like, Phew. And as you come to the end of something, anything in life, in fact, it's good to reflect on what has been and to envision what might be. So to sit in, to reflect on what, what has 2017 be, and then look forward to what 2018 might be. The danger with humanity is that we don't learn from the past. History repeats itself again and again and again. You just need to study history for, any, for about 10 seconds to realize that. It's like, wow, well, we do the same stupid things over and over again. The danger with each one of us is that we don't stop and learn from the situations and the decisions that we make. What, what happens is often we stick our heads in the sand and do the same thing all over again, even though it didn't work last time. Maybe... That's just me. But I believe that godly wisdom comes from processing our lives with the Lord. Sitting in the presence of God, coming before him. And that means the small moments as well as the large moments. Often we can reach a kind of a key time, a pivotal moment in life. And we come up to it and we start praying, thinking that this is the moment that the Lord's going to speak. Do you know what? The Lord speaks in all moments. He's there in the small things as well as the large things. Often it's a case of trying to sort the small things and then the large things will take care of themselves. The little decisions that we make. So what does Jesus want to say to you about last year? What words would sum it up? If you were to take a moment just to think of two or three words that would sum up last year for you, what would that be? It's a good way of kind of distilling something. No rude words allowed for some of you. It might be nothing. You know, you know, Jesus might not want to say anything about it, but have you asked him? And that's the process of reflection looking back. Now, this morning, I'm starting a new series called Fully Alive. And the ideas come from a pastor I really respect called Rich Nathan. And it comes from a verse in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And in the message version, it says this. Look at that man bloated by self-importance, full of himself, but soul empty. But the person in right standing before God, through loyal and steady believing, is fully alive, really alive, fully alive. Back in the second century, there's a famous early church father named Irenaeus, which I know many of you have heard about. And he said this, the glory of God is a person fully alive. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? The, the glory of God is a person fully alive. Now, over the next four weeks, I'm going to be speaking about being emotionally and physically alive, spiritually alive, and relationally alive. And we're going to find out that these areas of life are not like separate sections of a grapefruit. Because when you, sometimes when you do these talks, you're like, right, this is my spiritual life, this is my emotional life, this is my physical life. And what happens is we want to divide all of those things. The truth is, it's much more like a chocolate milkshake. Ooh, yeah, some of you are like... Yeah, I might nip to McDonald's and get a chocolate milkshake on the way out. But what happens is all of these elements of our life, they're all stirred together. And what happens is when we begin to look at these things, we're going to start to see some connections between them. We're going to find that in all of these areas of life are related to each other. Becoming fully alive in one area is going to impact the other areas as well. 
This morning, I want to talk about setting personal goals that will motivate us to become more fully alive. And I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions. I think I'm, ta- I think, <laughs> I think I'm talking about something deeper. But the New Year is a good moment to start to reflect on our life. Over the next four weeks, I want to challenge us to identify how we could be more fully alive and what would it take to change. Because do you know what? I think sometimes we know what it is. It's like, oh, do you know what? If I sorted this area of my life, I would probably sort out many other areas. But the truth is that we have never managed to actually do it. So there's the both. There's identifying it, and then there's actually changing it. I think that goal setting is biblical. We often think, oh, you know, this whole idea of setting goals, it's taken from a business book or kind of those management consultants that you speak to and they're like, what you need is a plan, you just need to sort it out. It's so unspiritual. And you might even be th- sitting there thinking, do you know what, goal setting's nothing, got nothing to do with our spiritual lives. It's just a modern business concept. Well, I would want to suggest to you that goal setting is actually biblical. The Bible tells us that Jesus set goals He was incredibly intentional about how he spent his time. What Jesus did, the things that he went to, he was very purposeful. He was was on a mission. In fact, I, I believe that there was no one who was ever more intentional about the way that they spent their time than Jesus was. He knew exactly what he was doing. For example, in Mark 1, Jesus gets up while it's still dark. It's very early in the morning, and he goes off by himself to a secluded place to pray. He takes himself away from what's in front of him. And the P- Peter and the other disciples, are the fr- they're frustrated with him, and they say, Do you know what? Everyone's looking for you. Don't you understand, Jesus? This is your moment. This is your moment when you can press in. This is a success moment. And, and in Mark 1.38, Jesus replied, and he says this, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus knew exactly what he was called to do, and he knew who he was. And both of those things, when you begin to know who you are and what the Lord's calling you to, you can begin to step into those things. And his beliefs were not constantly changing by reading something new or the latest conversation that he had. He knew that he was here for a specific purpose, and he had a goal in mind. And doing life without goals is like, I want to give you this picture that might, sometimes you have to give kind of hooks for people to catch on to. It's, it's a bit like riding a rocking horse. In, in our house at home, uh, our girls in their bedroom, they've got this beautiful, beautiful rocking horse. It squeaks a lot, but it's very beautiful. And it was n- another one of my wife's, I think it was an amazing charity purchase, wasn't it? She's like, I found this amazing rocking horse. Oh, great. Um, something else that's amazing. But um, and it's, it, it's, when, when children come into our house, they love to sit on this horse. You know, the first thing they're like, wow, that's an amazing horse. I want to, you're like, you're 12. I'm not sure this is a good idea. But, um, but the truth is with a rocking horse, it doesn't go anywhere. And living life without goals is like riding a rocking horse because we may have lots of activity, but we don't make any progress. You know, it's just a picture. Sometimes it's like that, that could be the story of so many people's lives. It's like they're in a rocking horse. They're just not going anywhere. And they're stuck on it. Now, I think the Apostle Paul was goal-orientated. He was incredibly intentional about his goals for his life and ministry. Read this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beat in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That strikes me as a passage that's pretty intentional. To have no goal is to be like a person who's involved in shadow boxing. They're just there, <laughs> but they never really get into the game. They never really get into the fight. We're not really ever defeating our enemy in our life. We're not really winning any victories. We're just standing there. Doing life without goals, Paul says, it's like fantasy sports. You know, those fantasy league tables. It's like, oh, worked really hard today. Did my team for the week. It's like, oh, okay. I think that goal setting is a statement of faith. Goal setting is a spiritual habit that we all need to grow in because goals are statements of faith. During this series, this Fully Alive series, we're going to ask each of you to pray and ask God, is there some area of my life that you want to put your finger on, that you want to press into? And actually, if I begin to get some measure of movement in that, it could absolutely radically begin to change my next year. It could change things. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, we read this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That's enough to just sit on that verse all day, isn't it? For each one of us, live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Each one, is a, each one of us who knows Jesus has received a calling. Are we living a life that's worthy of the calling that Jesus has given us? And if not, why not? Why not? Could be so many different reasons. Maybe we've just got distracted. Maybe we've gone off over here. Maybe we've got stuck in a pattern of behavior that's absolutely destructive and is ruining our lives. It could be so many things. But are we living a life worthy of the calling that he's given us? Likewise, in verse 17 in the same chapter, chapter 4, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Again, literally in the original Greek, the verb that Paul used was not the verb live, rather the verb walk. So, you know, there are two places in the Bible where life is most, most often understood as a walk. And it's in the book of Proverbs. And that, so Proverbs talks all about this. And also the second are the letters of the Apostle Paul. On 32 different occasions, Paul describes life as a walk. Walking, according to Paul, involves a step-by-step -step movement towards a particular goal. The goals Paul has in mind in Ephesians 4 are the unity of the church and the maturity of the believer. Those two things are what he's talking about in this context. But in Ephesians 4, when Paul speaks of walking, he's not describing like an aimless Sunday afternoon stroll. Sometimes when we think, you know, there's that kind of stroll where we don't really know where we're going, we're just out. I think it's something, something so much more purposeful than that. It's walking with intent. Paul is describing a purposeful walk, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, in pursuit of a goal so that we can reach the finish line. Without goals, we're going to quit along the way. And I love this metaphor of walking so much when it comes to becoming fully alive because walking always begins with the first step. So often when we think about the life of growth, it's a bit like, well, how am I ever going to change? If you've been around for any number of years in this life, sometimes there are, are kryptonite things. Sometimes there are the things that just end up getting in our, in our life that keep defeating us. 
But what I love about this image of walking is that it's left foot, right foot, left foot, that change can occur, and it happens bit by bit by bit. We're not instantly transported to our goal. We step by step move towards the goal. In the book, The Three Mile an Hour God, great title, isn't it? The Three Mile an Hour God, God works in our life at the speed of our walking. Think about that for a moment. He works in our life at the speed of walking. The reality is we would love it to be a lot faster than that, wouldn't we? (laughs) We'd love change to be like this kind of jet speed or the speed of light. But frequently, God just works in us slowly. And it's only when you look back over a period of time that you see where you've come from. It's like, oh my goodness, I've changed by left foot, right foot, left foot. I am in a different place to where I was. These little incremental changes, spiritually, physically, relationally, emotionally, financially, they all start with left foot, right foot, left foot. In Ephesians 4, Paul describes at least, do you know what, he describes many, many things. I had a slightly shorter talk today, so I was like, it's gone down from five to three, but... um, If we're going to sustain our efforts, we have to accomplish our goals that God puts on our hearts. Um, How how can we, how can I give you a few kind of practical things to move towards that? Well, the first thing I see in this Ephesians 4 passage is that accomplishing a goal requires coaches. Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 12, it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So this word equip suggests training or discipling, not just information. One of our greatest problems in the age in which we live in is the overabundance of information but the lack of transformation. I see so many Christians who love to post these wonderful articles. It's like, oh, do you know what, wonderful article. Have you done anything in this article that you've just posted? Or do we like to go, oh, that's really interesting. You should read this. It's like, yeah, maybe post it after you've done it. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, yes, sorry, that's pet, pet peeve. Um, <laughs> and step back. Every, all of you are like, oh, what's he noticing that I'm posting? Um, Don't worry, I have a list of all of you. Um, The ministers that that Paul lists are equippers, they're trainers, they're coaches of believers. The job of these coaches is to carry the church into maturity. That's the goal of the pastor in some senses, is to coach the church into maturity in Jesus Christ. That's that's my job description, really. I might write that as my job description. The Apostle Paul says that the church is on the field. It's just this image of we're all in the game. You are the players. Pastor jobs and leaders' jobs are to coach you, to get you ready for the game of life, to prepare you, to train you to succeed in becoming more fully alive. That's the picture. So that you can accomplish the purpose for which the Lord created you. And you know what? We always grow faster with a coach. In 2 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's a young guy that he's coaching. And he says this, 2 2 Timothy, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul says, I coach you, now I want you to coach someone else, and then they can coach somebody else. That is the picture of discipleship that we see. I have benefited from multiple, multiple different people over the years who've coached me. I don't look to one person as my coach. I sit there during the season of life that I'm moving into, and I'm like, Jesus, what is it that you want me to grow in? 
I know that I'm not the finished product. <laughs> you know, there are so many areas. In some senses, it's overwhelming. But Lord, what area of life do you want me to push into? And who is it that's going to help coach me into that? When I see somebody that can pray, you know, really deeply and they have this intimacy with Jesus, I want to spend time with that person and say, help me catch what you've got. Teach me. And I decided over the last couple of months that I could do with some help in my spiritual life. And so starting in January, I found myself a spiritual director. You're like, what the heck is that? Do you know what? I've got no idea. Um, but basically, I think it's something like this. Someone I don't know who's been trained to spiritually kick my backside. I think that would be a good description of what a spiritual director is. But do you, do you, I'm, I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about sitting with somebody and just opening up my spiritual life because I know that I want to go deeper with Jesus. I haven't reached the point where I'm like, do you know what? You guys just need to come to me because I've nailed it. It's like, I've got to keep growing. I need this. Also, this idea of coaching, if, if, you're, if you're married, I would want to suggest to you that sometimes your spouse can be your greatest coach. You're like, really? They can be. Um, do you know what? In any relationship, you're going to be different. You're going to be good at different things. And do you know what? Credit to Jenna over the, light, or over the period of, that we've been... <laughs> married is that I think she has coached me in many, many areas. And hopefully I've coached her in maybe one or two as well. Uh, but, but it's not always somebody external. Sometimes the people, but we need the humility to go to our other half and say, do you know what? You are really good at this. Would you coach me? That takes humility to sit there and go, you, you're amazing at this. Help me. Everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy. What areas do you need coaching in? Who are you going to ask to help you? Sometimes that idea of just doing it alone, you're sitting there going, oh, what, what are these things that I need to grow in? And then you're like, right, I just need to do this. It's like, I want to suggest you might need somebody to help you. You might need a coach. So accomplishing a goal requires a coach. Accomplishing a goal requires community. That would be the second thing. Here's what we read in Ephesians 4.16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you know what? When people want to take something like Weight Watchers, which has been going for 50 years, and what, what's the secret to it? Why is it so powerful? Because once a week, people gather for a meeting where they could cheer one another on in this long, slow, step-by-step -step process of losing weight. It's the community. What's the amazing thing? It's, at the heart of it, it's just the fact that you go with this group of people and you go on a journey, and that there's that accountability. It was the support of others that Alcoholics Anonymous tapped into 75 years ago in assisting people to break the habit of alcohol abuse. Almost nobody stops an addiction by themselves. What happens is they become part of a community and they go on that journey. We need community, we need fellowship, we need other people. It's the support of others in community that Jesus said was the, se the secret to the Christian life 2,000 years ago. Jesus said this, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. It's those little groups that support us. Do not make goals in isolation. Community holds us and it cheers us on. And then finally, the third thing and the last thing is that accomplishing a goal can often require saying no. It says this in 20 to 22 of Ephesians 4. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ 
and were taught in, here, in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Depending on what you want to change, depending on what area of life you want to become more fully alive in, you're going to have to discard certain things. You're going to have to get rid of, scrap, discard, throw out, dump some things. I remember a conversation on Jonathan Ross with my great mentor, Gary Barlow. Um, he's been a very amazing spiritual advisor to me. No, just one of these moments that I really recollect. It was about three years ago. And Jonathan was saying, he was saying to Gary, he said, Gary, you used to be a little chubby. And, uh, and you're now looking svelte. How did that happen? And Gary kind of sat there for a moment. And then he said, I learned to say no. At which point, I think Jonathan Ross brought in some chips. And uh, I was like, you got to say no to these. You know, it was this really kind of bizarre sketch. But learning to say no. Do you know what? No can be so incredibly powerful. There's things that will be ruining lives, distracting our soul, killing our marriages. You know, there's all of those things. That's the reality of walking life, isn't it? That there will be things that get in the way that have the power that we have to learn to say no to. If you want to be healthy spiritually, you may have to have someone block some things on your computer or in your home. You may need to throw your computer away. Do you know what? If it's causing you to sin, sometimes you're like, do you know what? You can't be left alone in the house with the computer. What would it take? How far are you willing to go? You may want to get rid of certain TV channels or unsubscribe to certain magazines. Maybe you need to massively change the way that you schedule your life. You're doing too much or you're not doing enough. To reach a goal, sometimes we have to lay aside certain things. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this. In Hebrews 12, 1, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's that so easily entangles, so easily gets in the way. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're getting back into that, that picture of the goal. Do not let these things distract you. Is there anything that you need to say no to? There are the obvious things. And then there are the things that are not harmful in moderation. And they're often the most difficult things. The subtle things. The social media, the TV, the alcohol. Fill in the blank. Things that are in and of themselves are not bad. But actually taken to... An extreme, suddenly they become incredibly unhealthy for us. Are there some of those things that actually just cutting them off would make a massive difference? In finishing, I guess what I'm trying to say is what would it look like to be more fully alive in 2018? I think that I'm trying to say I don't think goal setting is a bad thing. But I think it's something that needs to be done in community. I think that there are people that sometimes need to coach us to the next step in our life that we do not know how to do it. Therefore, go and find it out. There are people that are willing to help you. And then finally, sometimes it just requires saying no. It's like, do you know what? This behavior has had a hold of me for too long. This way of doing life is not working. We need to say no to this. It was started as a good thing, and now it's not helpful, and we need to say no. Why don't we stand? Let's pray.